Okay, we're just going to do some review. <laughs> okay, do we have enough, Clyde? Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> okay, now, last week, if you look at your outline, we kind of walked through this outline a little bit. We talked about sanctification, point one, a progressive work. You're more sanctified than you were last week, I hope. Well, I hope. Um, a progressive work of God and man, we cooperate, that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. We talked about the differences between justification and sanctification. We talked about three stages in sanctification, a definite beginning at regeneration. It increases throughout life. It's completed at death. It's never completed in this life. Trent, uh, well, no, I'll just, I'll wait a minute. I'm, I'm kind of just juggling here for a minute. Uh, point C, God and man cooperate in sanctification. God works in us. And then we have a passive role of trusting and yielding ourselves to God and an active role of striving for holiness. And there's no shortcuts. There are things that we should do, Bible reading, meditation, prayer, worship, witnessing, Christian fellowship, self-control. It's usually a corporate process. Okay, and then we're over onto the back of your outline. Sanctification affects the whole person. Intellectually, we grow in our knowledge of God and the Word. Emotionally, we grow so that our heart, desires, and emotions are more like what God wants. Our will, our ability to decide is strengthened, and we decide more and more to obey God. Our spirit uh, becomes purified, Paul says, and our physical bodies even are affected by sanctification. In connection with sanctification of physical bodies, I mentioned these delicious protein muffins that I think about when I get up in the morning that Margaret has made for me uh, that have cranberry in them or blueberry, and they have um, whole oats and whole wheat and, oops, okay, and uh, protein powder and other stuff. So one or two people were asking for the recipe. So Clyde, where is the recipe? You're passing them out right now. So there's the recipe, if you want it, out of... Uh, Bill Phillips' book, uh, uh, Body for Life Recipes, or something like that. So this what, this is still the same schedule we're on, but we're a little bit delayed. We're on instead of going on to baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, today, we're still on um, sanctification part three, and then the schedule will be pushed down a little bit. So next week we'll talk about this controversy over baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is all in the order of salvation, the things that happen to us as part of becoming a Christian, and we're on this step of sanctification. Now, I want to go, just hold on, I'm going to go all the way through to motives for obedience in the Christian life. So, just hold on. Well, what we're doing now is this. I'm back here. You and I, today, tomorrow morning, we're going to face a temptation where there's some pressure to do to do something we know this isn't what God's word wants me to do. This isn't what God wants me to do. Well, should we give in to the temptation or not? It might be just in conversation where you know the Lord wants you to say something, but the temptation is to be quiet. Or it may be in a conversation where something in you wants to lash out in anger, but the tempta- then that's the temptation, but you know the Lord wants you to be quiet. And not not speak out in anger or a temptation just to fudge a little bit on the income tax return that you're sending in on Tuesday, or 
some other temptation. I guess, what did, it, what did I see in the bulletin or in the compass today? Over 40% of men in churches affected by internet pornography. That's a, that's a temptation, and it's a, it's a life-destroying and marriage-destroying temptation. There's a temptation. Temptation, just to kind of let that time with the Lord slide and neglect it. A temptation just to kind of neglect time reading the Bible and prayer every day. Any other temptations? Now, what happens when you meet a temptation like that? See, it's, it's part of this process in the Christian life where there's, there's growth over time, upward toward perfect holiness. This should be the direction of our progress throughout life, growing. And, and failing at the temptation means slipping backward. Succeeding at the temptation, resisting it, means going forward. But what are, there, what are the things that we can have in our mind? What are the things that we can fix in our mind and meditate on and think about that will encourage us to overcome temptation and to walk in obedience in little choices day by day or big choices sometimes that we make? So that's going to be point E on this outline, motives for obedience to God in the Christian life or motives for obedience or motives for overcoming temptation, you could say. What are the things, the encouragements that God gives us? And you know, if you've brought up children, you know there are lots of different ways to motivate children. There's, there's reward and there's encouragement and there's uh, reaffirmation when they do things uh, that are right and there's various degrees and kinds of discipline uh, and correction when they do things wrong. And a wise parent will have all sorts of resources to use in motivating children to do right. Well, God, as our wise parent, has many ways to encourage and motivate us to live in obedience to him. And I've got 11 here. There are probably more. They just happen to be the 11 that I could find and think of. All right? Big picture, first of all, is going this way is good for us. Going, going this way, slaves to sin, is bad for us. So these are motives for doing what is best for us, okay? There's something that can get into our minds where the world has this idea of obeying God's laws is restrictive and oppressive and burdens. That isn't the way the Bible views it. It's, it's, It's a delight. It's a joy to us. It's like you run the car according to the owner's manual. So you run your life according to God's owner's manual, which is his word. So that's the, that's the big picture. Now let's look at these. All right, you ready? Eleven encouragements, motives for obedience. Here we go now. I just have to get over to large point E on this outline. Number one, obedience to the God in the Christian life, a desire to please God and express our love for love to him. If I ask Christians, well, why, would, why do you obey God? That's usually the first thing people think of. They say, well, I, I want to please God. I want to live in a way that is honoring to him. And, of course, that, that motivates children to obey their own parents, too. Um, and that's a good thing. And so Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's good. But I've found that Christians often just stop there and think that's the only thing. Though there's more, actually. Number two, the need to keep a clear conscience before God. Romans 13, 5, when Paul says, 
Uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and uh, uh, the civil government is uh, God's servant for your good. He executes God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection to the civil government, not only to avoid God's wrath, that's that comes through the civil government, is the agent of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And here it is, April 13th, so I've got to say this. Why do I pay taxes? That is, I'm subject to the government to pay taxes. Jesus says, Jesus says, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. There's a question about taxes. The next verse here, Romans 13, 6 and 7, goes on to say, therefore you must also pay taxes. Why? Well, two reasons. To avoid God's wrath, that is, to avoid God's wrath. And in this context, it means wrath coming through the punishment of the government. So to avoid God's wrath in the terms of governmental fines or even imprisonment, if you eventually don't pay your taxes, you, do, you obey for that reason. But also for the sake of conscience, you want to pay your taxes honestly in order to have a clear conscience before God. Um, and uh, there are many other things that we do that you have a clear conscience. The thing that I think of is this little unmanned toll booth at the uh, Interstate 294 that I got on when I went to go home from teaching at night at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. During the day, there's usually a person there. During the night, it was 45 cents, and it, there was no camera or anything. You just it's on the honor system. Drop your 45 cents in and go. But if it's 10:30 at night, and nobody's there. A lot of people just Went right through. Why did I put the 45 cents in? Is it worth 45 cents to me to have a clean conscience? Hmm, let me think. <laughs> 45 cents for a clean conscience. Yeah, I think it's worth 45 cents. I think it's worth a lot more. Okay, there's another one. I don't know. Did I tell you this about my little um, Swiss Army knife? Or I mentioned to Ben Burdick one day, you know, I forgot to... I forgot to uh, take my Swiss Army knife out and put it in the checked baggage. I got to the airport security line, and I found if you put it under the um, the, the um, metal transformer that recharges your computer while you're on the airplane, it, the x-ray doesn't see it, and you, and you don't lose your Swiss Army knife. And Ben said, oh, no, my professor doing this <laughs> because he said, I'm violating the law. So I didn't do it anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Ben, who works for TSA at the airport. <laughs> um, so I just, you know, I, I keep forgetting twice a year. I just, I don't do this intentionally twice a year, but about twice a year I lose one of these $11 Swiss Army knives because I get the security lines. Oh, no, I forgot it again. And so uh, I just hand it over now for a clean conscience. Now, they're, it cost me $11 for a clean conscience getting expensive. <laughs> What's that? Get a self-addressed stamp envelope. Self envelope. That's what I should do, yeah. Okay. Okay, so now talk to me. Um, in other things, what, what happens if you have a guilty conscience? What, what happens if you have a guilty conscience? What are the negatives out of that? Help me out. Where's the microphone here? You, you, go ahead, John. What? You start to not want to pray. Yeah, okay, we got that one. Okay, yeah, but why don't, why? because you're embarrassed. you're embarrassed to pray. Yeah, that's a pretty big negative. All right, what else happens with a guilty conscience? Uh, Evelyn, did, Ev, did you? 
You have your hand up? Well, I... <laughs> I was just going to say the Holy Spirit brings it up to you all the time. And yeah. It's in the forefront of your mind and <laughs> you can hardly think of anything else. Yep. It's between you and the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Something's wrong and the Holy Spirit keeps bringing it up. What else? What else happens with a guilty conscience? Uh, way in the back next to Steve. I don't know your name. Connie? Oh, go ahead and say it on the microphone. One act of disobedience leads to more acts of disobedience. Yeah, why is that? You figure you already blew it, might as well blow it some more? Is that, is that, some, or you kind of repeat the, is that, good, Connie, thank you. Yeah, good. Okay, what else? Way in the back over here. What's your name? Shirley. Shirley, if you have a strong sense of conscience, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you would beat yourself up constantly over what you didn't do. Yeah. Okay. You would make yourself suffer. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of beating yourself up consciously. Okay, yeah. What else? Over here, Brian. Is it Brian? No. Excuse me. Yes? What's your name? Eric. Eric. Eric, yeah. I'm sorry, Eric. I guess the, the one other thought I had is it, it might make you more likely to tolerate, accept, um, you know, less than exemplary behavior in others. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. If, if you yourself. You might start encouraging other people to do the same thing, make your conscience feel better. <laughs> well, people do that. Okay. Well, this isn't good, is it? I think this uh, this uh, this feeling guilty before God, and not praying. Back here, another one. Yeah. Starts to sear your conscience, which uh -huh. is what she said. Yeah. Okay. Um, what Connie said. Leads to more sin, and it also starts to affect your health. Oh. Because of the negative emotions affect the hormones in your body. Okay, affect your health. But I just want to pause a minute on that searing your conscience. It can, um, kind of like building up a callus on your skin where it's, where it's not sensitive anymore. Um, yeah, okay. Over here, Cheryl. Sherry. Sherry? Uh, it would have a definite depressing effect on your productivity and your creativity, because mm -hmm. your mind wouldn't be really free to yeah. focus. Okay, good. A lot of negative things come from a guilty conscience. I I think that uh, that uh, all those things are true. I mean, the thing, the one, if if it hinders your relationship with God and it hinders your prayer, and then what's going to happen to your faith and your trusting God to to bless you in in, in your life and to answer for, is that going to be hindered? Your faith, I think so. So, so this is real big, a big thing. I think God's put that conscience in for our good. It's a, it's a good thing. It's like that warning light on your car that, well, the way they used to be when they went off, and it really meant there was something wrong. The warning light now, it just means that you're supposed to go in and spend money in the repair shop. <laughs> but it's. <laughs> It's like the overheating uh, warning light on your engine or something like that. So, yeah, the need to keep a clear conscience before God is a real positive thing um, in terms of motives for obedience and for overcoming temptation. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul says that love for others is going to grow out of a pure heart and a good conscience. There are going to be good results from a good conscience. You'll be able to be free to love others. Okay. Number three, the desire to be a vessel for noble use and have increased effectiveness in the work of the kingdom. 
Paul gives this example. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So he's got this picture of a, of a kind of a, a fairly big or fancy house, and they have gold and silver services, and fancy china, all that. And then there are things of wood and clay just to, to feed the dogs or the scrub bucket for the washing the floor. They all have a purpose. And Paul said, you can be like that. What do you want to be? You want to be the good china and the gold and silver for, for noble use? Or do you want to be like the scrub bucket or the dish that the dog food goes in? Um, Paul says, if, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You want to be useful to God? You want to be ready for every good work? Well, you've got to purify yourself from what is dishonorable then. I think people say, I wish God would use me. wish he'd do something with me. Find somewhere I could be useful in the kingdom. So... God's getting ready to launch a new outreach program or a new ministry at Scottsdale Bible Church. And he's kind of sorting through the dishes. Oh, there's clean china. I'll use that one. I'll use that one. I'll use that one. And I don't want him to come. I don't want him to come to the one that says Wayne Grudem on it and say, oh, that one's all messy. I'll put that aside. I'm not going to use that one for this program. I want clean vessels. I want vessels for holy use. If you cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable, you're sort of ready for God to use you. I probably mentioned it before, but I, um, I, I don't, when I travel and somebody puts me up in a hotel room by myself, I don't turn on the TV. Well, I don't turn it on probably generally, but I don't turn it on and watch Stuff that I shouldn't be watching. Why? Well, first it would be it would be horribly dishonoring to Margaret, and, and she, I think, would sense it right away. There's something wrong in my spirit. But then second, this verse. I, I don't want to disqualify myself from God using me. I don't want to be just the dirty, messy scrub bucket that I'm, I'm useful for something, but but mostly not. I don't want God to withdraw the blessing that he has given to my life. And so this is a motive for obedience. It's a really strong motive for obedience. Okay? That's number three. Number four, the desire to see unbelievers come to Christ through observing our lives. First uh, Peter 3, 1 to 2, this is Christian wives with unbelieving husbands. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if, even if some do not obey the word, they're not Christians, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And I think what Paul gives as an example for wives there is, uh, has wider application for all of us, co-workers, neighbors, family members, when they see your pure conduct, when they see the obedience to God in your life, 
it's attractive to them. Even though they may kid you about it, they may mock you a little bit about it, they're also respecting it. Here, verse 15 to 16, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Jamie just quoted this verse in the last hour in the sermon. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So this has to do with being ready to explain the gospel to others, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Here's good conscience again. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Without divulging any names or confidences, do any of you know, have you heard of someone who said, well, I don't want anything to do with Scottsdale Bible Church or another church because so-and-so goes there, and I've seen some bad things in his life. Have you ever heard that kind of negative testimony? Susie, you have, and Robbie, you have. Anybody else? Yeah, you have? Yep, okay. And uh, Doug? Yeah? Yeah? Yep. Others? Where, where, the, where, where people profess to be Christians, and then they, they, they cheat some way at work, or they slander somebody wrongly at work, or in the neighborhood, or they just, maybe they want approval from others, and they kind of just, of course, in, in high school or college, it's a big Temptation just kind of go, go along with the crowd and doing something that's not right, getting drunk, or probably watching movies that shouldn't be watched, or, or whatever else. And there's a temptation. But Paul, or Peter, warns against that. If you're going to witness, keep your conscience clear so that if somebody begins to mock you, they may be put to shame because, because when you're slandered, it'll come out that the truth is that you didn't act that way. So that, isn't that a good motive for, for having others see the, the purity of your life? And that's a good encouragement to, to obedience. I, I think, are you with me? Are you tracking with me on this? Okay. Hmm. So there are four things. Here's five. The desire to receive present blessings from God on our lives and ministries. I wish... People really believe this more. See, there's something that everybody wants to protect in Bible-believing churches, and that's that we're justified by faith alone. And we talked about that a few weeks ago on justification. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. First, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the free, 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 free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to earn forgiveness of sin, to earn eternal life that's going to bring us to heaven, we don't have to do anything but trust Christ. Zero. Absolutely zero. And that's true. And that's part of what the Bible says. It's all of what the Bible says about how to be justified, but it's part of what the Bible says about the Christian life. But there's another part that the Bible says about the Christian life, and that is that how we act as we're growing in this sanctification path, it has consequences. And when we walk in obedience, God brings blessing to our lives. I don't know, I'm not saying that means freedom from suffering. 
or hardship, because that can happen, but, but, but even in the midst of that suffering and hardship, there's going to be blessing of fellowship with the Lord, seeing his favor, seeing answers to prayer, and things like that. So let's look at 1 Peter 3 in that regard. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling. See, that has to do with our conduct. But on the contrary, blessed, for to this you were called, that you, that you may obtain a blessing. So, so watch how you speak, because God's going to bless you if you speak in a way that's pleasing to him. For, now this is a quote from the Old Testament, who, from the Psalms, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If you want to love life, say, oh, I'm just thankful for every day that God lets me live. If you want to see good days, you want to get to the end of the day every day and say, God, thank you. That was a good day. It was hard, maybe. It was difficult, but it was good because you were with me. And I saw your hand. I saw your blessing. Do you want to see good days? Well, Peter says, if you want to see good days, keep your tongue from evil. Don't slander. Don't curse. Don't lie about people. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Speak the truth. Here's another thing. Let him turn away from evil and do good. That's resisting temptation, right? That's living in obedience. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For, and here's the blessing, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. Now that's a figure of speech. God doesn't have literal eyes, doesn't have literal ears, but he sees and he hears. His eyes on us, his eyes on you means he's watching you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He's watching and taking care of things for your good. And his ears are open to your prayer. So when you call out to him, on who, who is this? Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. I don't think that just means those who are justified. I think that means those who are walking in righteousness, living in righteousness day by day as Christians. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You don't want God's face against you, opposing you, and making life sort of seem like God isn't anywhere around all day long. So there's another motive, the desire to receive present blessings from God. Do you want to talk about that or ask about that? That's a big, big, big motive in the Christian life. I, I want God's favor on my life. I don't want to lose that. I'd like more of it. Yeah, John. He sure makes it clear to men. Go ahead. He sure makes it clear to men that if they're not doing the right thing by their wives, that he'll mm-hmm. you know, his prayers to. Their yeah. prayers to him will be hindered, I think. First Peter 3, 7, that your prayers may not be hindered. Yeah? Makes it real clear. Yeah, good. Good. Okay, anything else on receiving present blessings from God? That's just, it's a good motive, isn't it? It's, don't you want that? <laughs> and doesn't God want this for our good? Doesn't, doesn't he want us to walk in a way that, that is honoring to him? Not oppressive, not burdensome, but joyful and fulfilling. Hmm. The desire to avoid God's displeasure and discipline on our lives. The Bible talks about the fear of God, and I know people say, well, fear means reverence. Okay, it does mean reverence. I know it's a reverence, it's kind of an awe, but it's an awe of someone who's holy and omnipotent. And um, just as children don't want to receive discipline from their parents, 
They want blessing. So we don't want to receive God's discipline, which comes to, uh, to us for our good. Acts 5.11, Ananias and Sapphira died for lying, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of those things. 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This, isn't, this is not fear of going to hell. It's not fear of eternal condemnation. It's just fear of God disciplining hmm? for our good. So we change course. Just, Wayne, stop that. <laughs> That's kind of thing. That happens. But I, I want to avoid it if I can. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I don't, I don't want to do that. Philippians 2.12, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but also more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think that is just kind of, Lord, I don't want to stray off the path where you would discipline me. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. This is the elders um, that uh, are publicly rebuked, says Paul, so that the rest... The rest, I suppose the rest of the elders, but maybe the rest of the church too, may stand in fear of discipline. Okay, so there's another motive, a good one. You want to ask about or talk about that? I'll tell you, why don't I finish the list, and then we'll have about five minutes left. Um, number seven, the desire to seek greater heavenly reward. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when we're doing good and obeying the Lord and, and giving to his work, we're, we're laying up treasures in heaven. And if we're faithful in a little, we'll have authority over much, God will say, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful over very little, you have, shall have authority over ten cities or over five cities. There's a reward for faithfulness. Number eight, oh, here's one. It's related to these others, and it's kind of been touched on when we talked about prayer and walking with God, but the desire for a deeper walk with God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's a motive for getting the, the cruddy stuff, the kind of ugly stuff out of our hearts where it might fester and churn around and kind of poison our hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart. When you pray for God, Lord, remove that. Lord, cleanse that. Forgive that. Cover it by the blood of Jesus. Because I want to be near to you. They shall see God. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So there's a special kind of love, I think, that comes. If we say we have no fellowship with him, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, um, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, I should add the next verse. Uh, let me just read it for sure that I'm not misquoting. 1 John 1. Where's 1 John 1. If we... Walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So there's walking with one another, too. You know, I didn't put this in as a... as a, It would be a 12th motive, greater fellowship with each other, from 1 John 1, 7. Okay. Number nine, the desire that 
angels would glorify God for our obedience. Paul says in Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and incidentally, Timothy, of the elect angels who are watching to see whether you're going to obey. That's the purpose. The elect angels. I charge you, I command you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. You know, Timothy, maybe nobody else knows in your heart if you're kind of secretly in your administrative work in the church, you're kind of secretly being unfair and favoring your good friend. Even where you, you know a dispute came to you, and you knew your good friend was in the wrong, but he's your friend, so you kind of favored him. There's some partiality, and nobody knew except in your heart, but the angels were watching, and God was watching, and Jesus was watching, and they knew. And the angels, Paul's implying that they're watching what you do. Here, First Peter 1.12, it was revealed to these Old Testament prophets, they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have not been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. What things? The things that have been announced to you, I think that's not just justification by faith alone, but that's probably also the things about the blessings of obedience and the motives for obedience in the Christian life that we're talking about right now. That's something that God's word is announcing to all of us and angels are longing to look and see how that works out in your life tomorrow. They're watching, and they glorify God for our obedience. They're thankful. Did you ever think about that? Isn't that interesting? Number 10, the desire for peace and joy in our lives. Paul says, what you've heard, learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, what I've told you, follow them, you Philippians, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you ever know that? People say, well, I didn't have peace about this, or I didn't know why I was lacking peace, and then the Lord showed me there's something wrong in my life. Or, God's brought us into a time of great peace with him. I think there's a sense of blessing when those things happen. And that's one thing that God does. Um, um, we lay aside the sin that clings so closely, run with endurance. Uh, the, uh, the, the race that is set before us... Um, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. So here we're beginning to get into the positive, that as we walk in obedience, there's increased joy, because Jesus, as he walked in obedience, for the joy that was going to come as a result of his obedience, and that will come to us too, I think, is the implication. And then, finally, God's just put in us a sense of right and wrong, and we have a sense of desire to do that. We want to do what's right. Children have that from an early age. It needs to be trained and taught, but they, they kind of have a sense that there's right and there's wrong. And so here, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Philippians 4, 8, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Or Jesus quoted when he came to the earth, Psalm 40, verse 8, I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. So there's just a delight in doing what is right. That's 11 things. Now, now that's the end. The beauty and joy of sanctification. The more we grow in the likeness of Christ, the more we walk in obedience, resist temptation, the more we will personally experience the joy and peace that are part of the Holy Spirit, and the more we'll draw near to the kind of life that we'll have in heaven. And so that's where we should be. All right. Now, we've got a few minutes left. We can just, that's a lot. How do you feel about this whole list? Is this, is it good? I think it's good. Okay, Charlie. I really like your list. Um, I'm just curious, do you think that uh, the way the gospel is preached, especially in the 20th century, the way it's been preached, 
for the last hundred years at all make sanctification something that people aren't interested in. Uh, I, I have a dear friend who would fall into that category, but the whole justification by faith alone, by grace yeah. alone, well, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, but yeah, I'm going to drink, smoke, party, sleep around, do what I want to do because, hey, I'm going to heaven. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a real danger. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a half of the truth. Uh, and when you get half of the truth, you don't get the full Christian life. So then through, through the teaching of sanctification, is there a warning to people whether they've been born again or not? That's two weeks from now. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ben. I was thinking as you were talking about first three and then about um, disobedience and the consequences of that. Um, just in connection with ministry in general, I, uh, I think we want, as we bring the gospel to people or spiritual truth, uh, to have the assurance that God is the one doing the work behind it. If involved in any kind of ministry, you can quickly sense the disconnect between your ability to sink a spiritual truth into a person's heart or mind, which is nothing, and the desire to be um, anointed with and then have the Holy Spirit moving through what you're doing. Yeah. And that, that motive for sanctification where you're pure with the Lord and he is able then to bless you and He's not you're not subject to his discipline, you're actually able to be that vessel filled up and then poured back out. And uh, that just makes the difference between having a fruitful ministry that is powerful and actually is God doing something through you um, versus acting in the flesh all the time, even though you're really trying hard. Um, to be doing something of some sort of significance. And uh, so it's, it's very humbling uh, in one hand, and it, and it helps us to really get a, a good grasp and a trust in God and uh, to see him do something that we could never do, to see something through his power. Yeah. It's just a real encouragement. Wow. Ben, I, just, I was kind of writing as you were speaking, just I had a note of that, but it's really helpful. It's really good. If ministry is only done by his power, then, whoa, where are we going to be if, we, if, he, if he doesn't anoint, empower what we're doing. Okay, what else? Just kind of just anything in that list or just reaction to it. It's strong medicine. Um, I know that. But, but as with Charlie, I, I think, I don't think that Scottsdale Bible Church has necessarily been negligent in preaching this because Daryl has taught on the need for obedience and Jamie is already starting to talk on that. But in the evangelical world in general, yeah, there's a carelessness. There's a kind of a, Okay, trust Jesus, go to heaven, and then do whatever you want. And boy, that's just poison uh, to the Christian life. So this is this is antidote. Yeah. Okay, way over here. Um, tell me your name again. I've, Tom. Yeah. Would there be a point uh, of crossroads in sanctification where you want to follow your government, and yet you know, from a Christian point of view, perhaps abortion issues, where you would. Um, You'd have to make a decision. Maybe it's paying your taxes. Maybe it's some position you take mm -hmm. where you're in conflict between those two. Yeah. Well, um, in the founding of the United States, that are we going to be subject to King George III in England or not? And uh, that was a, you know, that was a period of decades where people were agonizing over that, and finally thought that the tyranny of of the British monarch was so great that those in authority over 
citizens in Massachusetts or Delaware or Virginia or whatever had an obligation before God to defend their, those in their charge from an evil king who was tyrannizing them. And there were differences among Christians on that. I, I tend to think they were right, but that disobedience to the government has to be, government has to be, even in the Declaration of Independence, they said it's got to be really bad. They, that wasn't their wording, but you know, we'll long endure the injustices before we have to take action. So I don't know about the other questions. What else in obedience? Yeah, John. Hold on. I never forget, but when I was in high school, sitting in a little church, and my a relative from Ireland was preaching a sermon, and he said, "If your conscience isn't clear with God, you're just, when you pray, you're just talking to yourself." <laughs> <laughs> There's effect on prayer. It hurts. It hinders our prayers. Okay. Yeah. Another one. I didn't see the hand. Wanda. Hi. Hi. What if good, godly people don't understand that what they're doing isn't right? What do you do then? Talk to them. <laughs> I don't know, Wanda. <laughs> um, look. Uh, um, that was a flippant answer. Um, we. It, there are times when we don't know what's right for ourselves. And that's a James 1. If any of you lack wisdom, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Because sometimes we're confused. Lord, I don't know what is right to do. Please help me. And then we could seek counsel from others as well, from friends. Um, and maybe read a little bit about an issue or something. But what happens if a, if a Christian friend is doing something or, or, or a loved one or something is doing something. It depends on the relationship you have. If it's, if it's your daughter, you correct her because you're the parent and you have authority. Um, if it's me, because I'm your friend, I want you to say something. I really do. But I want you to say it at the right time in the right circumstance and where it's not going to embarrass me publicly. <laughs> you know, that, so there's wisdom in praying for, praying for God's help in knowing when to encourage or admonish one another. Um, there are mistakes to be made on both sides. There's, there's excessive silence where we never stir up one another to love and good works. And if we see our brother going astray, uh, as James or First John would say, we don't, don't say anything. We're not obeying the word. But there's, there's the, there is the other mistake, and there's the judgmental, harsh, always critical person that, you know, that we've all known. <laughs> Pray for wisdom. Okay. Well, that's about it on sanctification. Are you totally sanctified? <laughs> not but we've done a lot. Okay, I think I want to, uh, let's see, we're at the end and we need to sing. I'm going to sing this Trust and Obey again because it's uh, just a great sanctification hymn and then we'll be dismissed. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. See you next week. <laughs>